fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we had some pretty good wins this last week, didn't we? Found pieces of my neighbor's roof in my yard. I feel bad for him. The amazing thing is, is I've lived in other states in the country that don't have our wins. And winds half as strong as these have blown over power lines and fences in those states when it comes. In fact, Wyoming often has winds that are just as great as hurricane force winds, but it doesn't blow over our power lines and our houses. Why? Because we know the winds. We know they're here. We build our houses sturdier. We have to, and we plant our power lines and our fence posts deeper into the ground so that they stand up. Now, in a way, that's a picture of the life of a Christian in this world. The devil, the world, and our own sinful nature are mighty winds that try to blow us over, blow us off the foundation of Christ. But he has planted us deep within his means of grace, deep within his word. And he also gives us brothers and sisters in Christ to support us. And so in our sermon text today, we see that we should stand firm in the Lord as his dearly loved children. We have excellent examples to follow and we have a fantastic citizenship to enjoy. Our sermon text is the epistle lesson, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 4, verse 1, which you've already heard, but I'll read the first verse to remind you of that account. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. This is the word of our Lord. When I was a child growing up in Wyoming, my heroes, as Willie Nelson sang, had always been cowboys. I had a cowboy hat that looked a lot like the Lone Ranger's cowboy hat, only I couldn't keep it as nice and clean. And I always wore cowboy boots. My older sister, seven years old, me and I was three years old, her begging me not to wear my cowboy boots with my shorts because I would look really incredibly foolish. But my heroes wore cowboy boots and I was going to wear them all the time. And still to this day, she has to tell me when I take the kids to the pool, I shouldn't wear cowboy boots. I'm kidding, that doesn't happen. But you can see, I still wear them. And my hero, when I was a kid, the big time cowboy of cowboys for me to set as a hero and role model was Billy the Kid. Because after all, he had the name, the kid. Even had a pair of jeans that said Billy the Kid on them and insisted on wearing them until pretty much uh, they fell apart. Some point in time, I remember walking to school with my best friend, and one day he's telling me he had found out he had a great uncle who was killed by Billy the Kid. I figured his uncle must have been a loser because Billy the Kid was my hero. Later, I would find out that actually it was the other way around. Billy the Kid murdered his great uncle. He never knew him, obviously, but Billy the Kid murdered his great uncle in trying to escape from jail where he properly belonged. Now, just imagine, folks, if I had not read Pat Garrett's account and found out that Billy the Kid was no role model, what kind of person I'd be today? I'd probably be deeper in the ground than our fence posts by that kind of living, because that's what happened to Billy the Kid. The role models we follow, the examples we set, can be a wonderful thing, or they can be a terrible curse. And so the Apostle Paul tells us to stand firm in the Lord as his dearly loved children, because we have excellent examples to follow. He points to himself. Brothers, keep on being fellow imitators of me and continue carefully observing those who conduct their lives in the same way, just as you continue having us as a pattern. 
My parents were sinners, but how blessed I am to have Christians who set a pattern of going to church so that I would hear the word of God. I've had brothers and sisters in Christ along the way. I often think back of one, we mentioned her in the Saturday Bible study with our ladies uh, group last Saturday. One lady, I called her my surrogate grandmother that really just set a fantastic example for me. And often when I was screwing things up, had a gentle way of rebuking me with the word of the Lord and encouraging me. There are the examples. The Apostle Paul himself holds himself up, but he tells us why we need to be careful who our examples are. He says, because many conduct their lives, whom I was telling uh, to you, and now I'm also saying while weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. He's not talking about the unbelievers here, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about people that belong to the church, that hold up and profess to be Christians. There's two ways you can be an enemy of the cross of Christ. The first is to deny law or grace. This happens. A person understands that they are forgiven, so they decide that God's will no longer applies to them and they can throw out the Ten Commandments and not bother with it. You know, let's eat, drink, and be merry and rush off into sin. That's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Jesus has freely forgiven us and saved us. He's done the work. We don't look at the law as a means to save us. We look at it as God has now saved me and now I want to reflect my thanks and the law helps us do that. It helps us worship him. In that same ilk, you get the Pharisee type people still in the Christian church. They're holier than you. They're better than you. They look down their nose at you. They forget and deny their own sins, right? And, and don't think they actually need a savior. They think they can, they've earned their own salvation and have it coming. So that's the one way we can be enemies of the cross of Christ, either denying God's law or denying his gospel. Another way that we often overlook is Jesus told his disciples that if they're going to follow them, they're going to have to pick up a cross. What? And the cross he's especially talking about there is being hated for being a Christian. Just as they tried to kill the Savior, history has shown, you will be hated for clinging to the word of God. There's something about being told that God loves you so much that he died for your sins and has given you, offers you free salvation that makes people want to kill you. I don't get it because I'm a believer, but it happens. But crosses can, aren't just hatred for being a Christian. Crosses can be medical problems and financial problems that come upon us. I can tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, if it were not for certain crosses I bore when I was a younger person, I would not be before you as a pastor. And I'm not even sure that I would be before you as a Christian. We often forget that God uses crosses in our lives to let us see that we need a Savior. Nothing sends somebody who's staying away from the Word of God faster to the Word of God than feeling pressure and wondering, what can I do about this? Then they come running, God help me because I can't help myself. But there are many that will deny that message. There's a lot that deny that message. I don't mean to pick on a particular group, but turn on television. Well, there's some pretty popular television evangelists. They'll tell you that if you follow the right steps and you give your heart to Jesus and do the right things, life's going to be wonderful. And God's going to bless you and make you rich. And there will be no crosses in your life. Paul says that is an enemy of the cross of Christ. There are Christian bookstores full of books that if you'll just follow their 2, 3, 12, 15, or say their prayer, then God is going to remove all your crosses. They miss that God says in this life he does allow crosses to come upon us, but he's using them for our good. And by doing so, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So when hard times come upon us, 
God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to show us how to bear those crosses. I often think of Job, who when everything comes upon him, his wife even works against him. She says, curse the Lord and die. And Job says, shall I accept the good from the Lord's hand and not the bad? See, he understood something. There really is no bad from the Lord's hand. It's not harmful to us because the Lord is using it for our good. There are many who will live as enemies across the Christ, claiming to be Christians, setting a bad example. If you're, if you're a young Christian who's married, the place to turn to for marriage as an example is not Christians who aren't getting along and have a bad marriage. If you're a young a Christian with a young family, the place to turn to for guidance and, and a role model in raising your children is not a family whose kids are a bunch of hellions. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when crosses come upon us, if we're told we've got a disease, the way to bear that cross is not to wallow around like some to go, why is God doing this to me? God's picking on me. Turn to brothers and sisters in Christ who have borne those crosses and can tell you how God worked for them. God uses them to encourage you, but he also uses you to encourage others. But those, those who will live as enemies of the cross of Christ, the Apostle Paul says, whose end is destruction, whose God is one and the same as the desires of their belly. The Greek word for stomach here is the hollow. It means all the desires that come in there that we want to fill. Not just food, not just other needs of the body. The desires of their belly. And whose glories and things that should be their shame, their minds are set upon worldly things. How often it is that we find Christians that they, they don't want to have the crosses because they want to be wealthy and they'll preach against uh, having to endure things, having to see that God gives us enough to provide. Maybe God doesn't allow us to be wealthy because he knows uh, we'll love our wealth and embrace it so that we lose our salvation. But these people, they want to have numbers underneath their belt. They want to have large offerings. I, I see it all the time. You turn on television. If you want to get out of debt, you've got to send money into my ministry. Now, I'm not picking on all television evangelists, but you turn around and you see that where's their real desire, their real desires to separate you from your pocketbook. They want the worldly pleasures. They want the big house. It's sad. And that's not the only way that that happens. These are not people we want to look to and set as our examples. We'll be looking to Billy the Kid as an example if we do that. Things that should be their shame. They should be ashamed to be preaching against the word of God. They should be ashamed of the way they are acting in opposition to God's will. Their mind is set on worldly things, and this world is temporary. It's passing away. There's one of the comforts we have as we look at this, which we'll get into here in a minute. God uses his word to plant us like deep fence posts. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that he uses to encourage us to keep in the word, and we encourage them. Otherwise, we're like those tumbleweeds we see here in this state in the wintertime. They're blowing across the fence this way. The wind shifts directions. They're blowing across the fence that way. And it is sad how many Christians falling for these popular preachers that God's truly is their stomach are blown from one fad book to the next and one fad ministry to the next. God wants to plant us down. Wants to plant us securely in His Word. One of the last ways, it's not always a bad thing, but I saw this, it was really popular some years ago, was a bracelet that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? Setting Jesus up as the example. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't follow Jesus' example. Do you know why? Because he's not a tumbleweed, he's not a fence post, he's a mountain. He stopped the wind for you and I. 
He stopped our slavery to the devil. Jesus was what you and I cannot be. He was perfectly holy all the time. He is true God and he suffered on the cross for us to purchase and win us to make us his brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I are sinners. Jesus felt the temptation, but he never sinned. We need examples that struggle with sin because we struggle with sin. Where should we turn? Oh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal glory. Paul's an extreme case and yet a perfect example of how we come to faith. He's going along persecuting Christians when Jesus stops in the road and says, knock it off. Now you're going to be my apostle. It takes a miracle of God to convert us. And afterwards, we see examples in the apostle Paul. He says, chief of sinners though I be. He points out like in bearing crosses. There was a cross he bore that he thought was a hindrance to proclaiming the word of the Lord. And he tells us in Corinthians, three times I prayed to the Lord to remove my thorn in the flesh. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness. Look at the apostle Peter. He's kind of the spokesman of the apostles. And he gets to Antioch and he falls under the influence of these bad examples. These Billy the kids in the church. And he separates himself out from the Gentiles and starts acting like a Judaizer. And the apostle Paul had to call him into account and did it publicly. But he sets an example because Peter repented. And started teaching in his actions again the word of God. There are the examples, sinners who live their lives in the grace of God, not being role models of how to sin, being role models of how to be sinners who cling to the cross of Christ. That same friend of mine, my best friend, who'd had a great uncle that had been killed by Billy the Kid, we used to walk to school together, and there was a piece of, of uh, open land there where there was no housing, and oftentimes I was kind of a runt, I was very skinny, and the wind would blow me over in Wyoming, some of them gusts. But, but my best friend growing up, he was twice the kid I was, and it doesn't mean he's fat, I was very scrawny, but he was bigger than me, and I learned if I put him between myself and the wind, I would be fine. That's what God does for you and the role model brothers and sisters in Christ he gives you. And he does that for others through you as well. He makes us patterns to be followed as well. So we've seen that we want to stand firm in the Lord as his dearly loved children. We've seen we have excellent examples to follow. But why? Why do we want to follow them? Paul talks about citizenship next. Paul had benefits as a Roman citizen. You see, if you were a Roman citizen, you had the right to a fair trial. You had the right to appeal to Caesar himself, the Supreme Court of the day. You only, under a couple of circumstances, could be crucified. Otherwise, that was a punishment that, you, that could not come to Roman citizens. Have you figured out that Jesus was not a Roman citizen? Anyways... Citizenship had its privileges, and the Apostle Paul used those at times, like when the gospel was being persecuted, to appeal to, it would be Nero, who was functioning as Caesar, and got the church declared a legal religion so that the government wouldn't be used to persecute it. He did it a second time, and Nero decided it was an illegal religion. That's another story. There's benefits in citizenship. I, I, when I went to the University of Wyoming, I had a next-door neighbor who was from Pakistan, really a good friend. But you know, his language was different. He tried to dress like an American, but he just couldn't quite do it. 
I learned some neat things from him. I, I don't in any way want you to think I'm bad-mouthing him. You could tell he was not born and raised in our country. You were not born and raised in this world full of sin either. What? You see, the Holy Spirit gave birth to your faith so that you believe that Jesus died for you, that you have been purchased and won. You are but a stranger here. Heaven is your home. You are a citizen of heaven. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 20, because the place of our citizenship exists in the heavens from where we are also eagerly awaiting the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. And we're not here making a home in this world. We're temporary because we plan on retiring back in heaven. We own the land. That's where we're from. That's what's been promised us. We've been promised new and glorified bodies. You have heavenly benefits. No matter where you go, you are a citizen of heaven. So you know that Jesus Christ, the one who died to purchase and win you and make you his brother or sister in Christ, Jesus is ruling over all creation for you. That's why you can be confident that those crosses you bear... He wouldn't allow them unless he could use them for your good. You can be confident he's ruling over creation for you. And we're told of Jesus in verse 21, who will change our body of lowly status. This is a sinful body subject to decay that fills pressures and sickness and disease into the same form as his body. This is after he rose of glory. He's God. His Godhood shines out. How can he do this? according to the effective working of his ability, namely the ability to bring everything under his firm control, a literal translation of the original Greek language. When God said, let there be light, that was Jesus speaking, because Jesus is the word. And if he can create things light out of nothing by saying it, when he promises you you're a citizen of his home, you have a room there in the heavenly mansion, and he's going to give you a body that will not be subject to decay, he's going to remove your sinful nature for good, you can be confident he has the power to do it and will. Leave the how to him, because the answer is I'm God. We have a wonderful citizenship to enjoy. Benefits of heavenly citizenship, wherever you go, you know that is yours. Apostle Paul concludes our sermon text by saying, Therefore, my beloved and affectionately longed for brothers, my joy and my victory wreath. How can he call believers his victory wreath? He's not talking like the people of megachurches who give itching ears what they want to hear instead of the word of God. What he's saying is, God has given his grace to me, and I see his grace has spread to you. Wreaths actually wither. They were made out of celery. He's not saying it's a worldly glory for him. He's saying this is, this is the gift God has given me in life. I, I've got to spread his word, and it has gone out. He says, in this way, beloved, keep on standing firm in the Lord. We hear the word, and God gives us examples to follow. Here in Wyoming... We plant our fence posts deep. We plant our light poles deep so that the winds of this world won't knock them over. God plants you deep in his word, especially deep in the good news that he has saved you. And to help keep you there, to do the maintenance needed, he gives us examples, other brothers, sisters in Christ. And he gives you the blessing. You have victory wreaths as well in being an example for others to follow. So brothers and sisters in Christ, Stand firm in the Lord as his dearly loved children. We have excellent examples to follow. We have a fantastic citizenship to enjoy. Amen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Amen.